Hi, this is Matt Welsh with Spiritual Media Blog, and today I am here with Stephen Simon. Stephen is the producer of the Oscar award-winning film, What Dreams May Come, producer of the movie Somewhere in Time, and one of the authors of the book that we're here to talk about today, What Dreams Have Come, Loving Through the Veil. Stephen, thank you so much for being here with us today. It really is an honor. Hey, Matt, it's great to see you again, and I, I look forward to this. Thank you, buddy. Hey, listen, you left out, unfortunately, probably the film that most of your audience relates to more than anything else. I know. Indigo. So you go ahead and do it. Um, well, Indigo and Conversations with God. Oh, no. What am I missing? I'll give you a hint. Party on, dude. Oh, <laughs> excellent adventure that's right you know i saw one of their sequels come on i think it was like itunes movie and i thought of you and i was like that's that's one of stephen simon's well i i have to tell you we didn't cover ourselves in glory with the sequels but the, the original was really funny that was that was a that was a fun one so you know in the spirit of that film party on and party I'm on <laughs> looking, looking forward to the conversation. Um, that's awesome. So, you know, to get started, you know, for people who might not be familiar with this, this current book that you have, I would say, co-written, What Dreams Have Come, Loving Through the Veil, you know, tell us about it. What's it about? And um, why did you write it? Okay, so... Boy, it's an interesting question to go back to where, how far back I should go. But let me say this. Uh, Somewhere in Time is about a man who falls in love with a portrait of a woman who's been uh, deceased for many, many years and travels back in time. And at the end of the film, they are reunited in the afterlife. What Dreams May Come is about a man who is searching for his wife in her afterlife experience. Those are the films that I actually, I think really came here to make. Uh, Conversations with God, certainly Indigo, yes. Certainly the Spiritual Cinema Circle, which we operated for 16 years. Those are the films that I have always related to, the, the wouldn't it be wonderful if types of films. I grew up loving It's a Wonderful Life and The Ghost and Mrs. Muir and you know, films like that. But it was very clear very early on in my life that I came here to be a filmmaker and I had a fascination with that subject matter. Life sometimes imitates art that has imitated life. Yeah. I had two very uh, difficult, challenging marriages earlier in my life, fortunately got wonderful, wonderful kids out of it who I really adore had been in a place in my life where I was just, I was 57, I was never gonna date again. I raised my kids uh, on my own and I just thought that's it for that part of my life. And then one day in 2003, I walked into a movie theater in outside of Portland, Oregon, a classic movie theater in a little town called Gresham and to, do a, uh, to talk at a revival of What Dreams May Come. And when I was in the lobby, I noticed a woman with her profile to me and I walked over and she turned around and I, we described this really in the book, but I mean, it seemed like we stared at each other for five minutes and didn't say a word. Wow. Now it was only a few seconds, but 
I, what I saw in her eyes and what she saw in mine, which we talked about, laughed about a, a lot uh, later on, was, oh my gosh, we did it. We met on the night we were supposed to. Wow. And we, we kidded about it after that, um, after we started dating and, um, and also after we got married. But we said, you know, our higher selves, our angels, they deserve a, a vacation in Tahiti. How the heck did they get us to this little movie theater so we could meet? And I fell in love literally at that moment. I knew that I had known Lauren forever. She did too. She went home that night and called a dear friend and said, hey, I just met my guy. She had had two difficult marriages, had a couple of children, and it was an amazing love story. And at the age of 57, I found the love that I knew that I had always looked for. Uh, we got married uh, New Year's Eve of 2005 into two, uh, 2006. And it was an extraordinary, it was the best experience and the happiest time of my life. On January 3rd of 2018, I went to the gym in the morning early, which is what I, my habit was at that point. And I came home and Lauren was still asleep, which was a little surprising to me because she didn't usually sleep that late. But I thought, well, she'd been up later than I was the night before. And I thought, um, you know, she just needs to sleep. But after a while, I got worried. I went in and found that she had um, transitioned in her sleep. And by the time I found her, she was actually cold. And uh, needless to say, that was the most traumatic moment uh, of my life. And I, I vaguely remember calling 911 and then um, our daughters showed up. A, a lot of that wound up being a complete daze for me. But Lauren and I, Lauren was and is a gifted intuitive. She was also a therapist. And she and I had talked a lot about well, what are we gonna do uh, after this life? Are we gonna come back here again? Because we became very aware that we have been together for literally dozens of lifetimes, going back longer than I think I should probably even say, but it certainly was a couple of millennia. Not every life, but we knew we'd been together a lot, a lot. One night Lauren said to me, hey honey, we really need to design our afterlife together. Let's do that. And we sat down and she said, I want you to write it down because she was doing a lot of channeling at that time. And I wrote everything down specifically. The last month or two of Lauren's life, she was very weak. Uh, she had had uh, stage three thyroid cancer, which she had completely recovered from, but she never recovered from the treatment for it. The radiation, the iodine radiation just completely weakened her system. And she died very peacefully in her sleep. I knew that we were gonna be in touch. I knew, we talked about it. We talked about how we would do it. I knew she would reconnect with me. I felt she would reconnect with me. I believed she would. It took about six weeks, which under those circumstances, at least six weeks of our earth time is not a long period of time, but and I, we describe it in the book very distinctly what happened that first contact. And I became very aware that Lauren was still there in every way as we knew we would be, except for physical. And that began a whole different kind of relationship. This is now mid-February of 2018. I was in shock. Um, I was completely traumatized by it. 
Uh, I don't remember a lot of 2018 and 2019, actually. They kind of blend together for me. Uh, I've never been that traumatized and that heartbroken and that grief-stricken in my life, as everybody knows who has gone through an experience like that. So come September 29th, 2018, um, I live in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, and uh, a couple of our daughters, uh, we have five kids that are all adults and a couple of them live in Southern Oregon near Ashland. And I went down to spend some time. While I was there, I had met one night for dinner with Neil Donald Walsh and his wife, Em. Um, many people know that Neil wrote the Conversations with God books. Neil and I became very, very good friends. We invited him to the premiere of What Dreams May Come and we became very close. He was the reason I left LA, moved to Oregon, wrote my first book about spiritual cinema. And Neil and his wife and Lauren and I were very good friends. And this is the first time that I had been with the two of them since Lauren's transition. So we had night, dinner this night in, in Ashland. Thank goodness there were other people there that can confirm this happened because when I tell people about this, there's a whole chapter about it in the book. So I know people will say, really? Did that really happen? So it's late September. There have been several months of no rain in Southern Oregon, which was a big issue. There was a lot of smoke and stuff like that. I'm sitting facing the windows of the restaurant. Neil and M are sitting across from me and we start talking and Neil says to me, you know, how is everything going? And I said, you know, I'm making a lot of notes. And I was kind of joking with him saying like you did. You know, when you started having your conversations with God, I'm making a lot of notes on yellow pads about our conversations. And Neil looked at me and he said, well, then it's a book. Hmm. At that moment, outside, there was a huge lightning flash and then a big roll of thunder. And they wheeled around and looked at it. And I looked at them and I was like, whoa. Wow. Neil then smiled and he said, and I know the title. Okay. Boom. Another lightning flash. And then he said, what dreams have come. Wow. Another lightning flash. And I said, I think I'd better start writing this book. <laughs> Another lightning flash. And then the fifth and last one came when I said, and it's very clear that Lauren and I now need to write this together. Wow. So that's how it began. And the book took um, almost two years to complete. And uh, there was a lot more of it at one point, and uh, I had to edit it down. Although our conversations, Lauren's part of our conversations, I never edited. Those are exactly as she spoke them to me. That's how we did the book. Now, I want to talk about one other thing, and then I'm going to shut up for a while and, and, and let you ask whatever questions you want. When I say Lauren got in touch with me, sometimes people wonder what that means. Do, do I hear her voice? No. Yeah. Lauren... Lauren's body was cremated. Her voice no longer existed. So I did not hear her voice. I felt her voice. I felt her voice. I felt her thoughts in my heart. And it's a very important part of what we're trying to communicate to people with this book, which is to trust your heart. There's a wonderful old movie that if people haven't seen, I heartily recommend called Bandits which is a great comedy caper with Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton and Kate Blanchett. And it's a lot of fun, but there's an incredible line in it because Kate has a line where at one point she says, the heart is a mysterious organ. It plays by its own rules. Uh, to which we added that the brain and the mind do not understand. 
we talk a lot about trusting your heart because we know, and here's the real reason why we wrote the book. These connections that Lauren and I have through the veil are not rare. They're not certainly exclusive to us. Millions and millions and millions of people have these experiences every day. But what we found is that so many people are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid that people will think they're crazy. Well, you and I met quite for the first time quite so many years ago. You already know I'm crazy. So having somebody think I'm crazy is not a new experience for me. I mean, you know, make movies like Somewhere in Time and What Dreams May Come and people have some interesting things to say. Yeah. But we really wanted to explain to people how we communicate, how incredibly uplifting it is that we know that millions of people do it and that trusting your heart is the key to it. One last thing on that, just to show again, life imitating art, limiting life. On November 3rd of 2011, I had a heart attack and my heart stopped four different times, twice in the house, once in the ambulance and once in the, uh, on the way into the uh, emergency room when I got to the hospital. They, I was revived um, by the, the firefighters the first couple of times. And when I came to in ICU and I was talking to Lauren, it was a Friday night. I think it was a Friday night. And when we were talking, I realized that we had sent out the movies to our spiritual cinema circle subscribers that morning. That morning we had done that. Now we had to choose those movies two, three months in advance because we would do interviews about them and things like that. The feature for that month was called Listen to Your Heart. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's, it, this is what I know I'm here to do. I'm gonna be 75 this year. Um, this is the final public facing project of my life. And it's going to be the rest of my life trying to get the book exposed to people who believe that they will benefit by it. It's obviously not what we would call a mainstream book. <laughs> Um, that's for sure. But at the same time, if you have, if you've lost somebody really, really key to you, if a friend has, a family member has, we hope and think the book will be a great comfort. Yeah, I, I think it will. And I, I appreciate you sharing such a personal account of this. And I agree with you. I think a lot of people do have some of these experiences, but then they might doubt it. Um, you know, I guess, what, what would you say to people who, they are having some of these experiences, but they do doubt it. And they're like, am I, am I crazy? You know, or maybe this is just luck or maybe, you know, this dream doesn't mean anything. I mean, what would you say to people who are kind of questioning whether this is real or not? Yeah. A great question. Uh, do you remember either the book or the movie catch 22? I, I think I read the book in high school. All right, well, here, here is the premise of Catch-22. The only way you could, you could get out of the service, and this was about an, a, a pilot, uh, the only way you could get out of the service is if you were crazy. Okay. But if you applied to get out of the service because you were crazy, they said, no, if you're applying to get out of this, you're not crazy. Therefore, <laughs> no, we won't let you out, right? Well, so, no, yeah. Here's the thing. 
And I, we're very clear in the book. Can I sit here today and look you in the eye and 100% guarantee you that this happened? No, I can't. I can't. I'd love to. It would sound better, but it wouldn't be real. Because this is about faith. Yeah. It's about belief. It's not like, yeah, the sun comes up in the east and sets in the west and that's it. Yeah. If you throw an apple in the air, it's going to come back down. That's gravity. This is about belief. So if, if, if people doubt it, it shows they're not crazy <laughs> because I doubted it. And you'll see that in the book. I doubted it a lot. You know, I questioned myself a lot. Fortunately for me, Lauren has um, and has always had a great, great sense of humor. And um, there's a whole chapter on Lauren's humor in, in the book. But there was one point when I said, you know, I still think I'm making you up. And she said to me, well, I think I'm, you're, I'm making you up too. So what? <laughs> so if you do think that, then it's understandable, but you trust your heart. That's your brain. Yeah. Your brain is, is saying, are you, are you crazy? This is not what people, you know, how, what are people going to think? You know, there's no scientific proof for that. True. Right. But if you trust your heart, your heart will not lead you wrong. I think that's a really good point. Like you said, it's about having faith. We're not going to be able to prove this on a scientific level, but if we just, you know, take that leap of faith, it can really help. Um, how about on the other end of the spectrum? You know, if you have people who have lost loved ones, but they don't feel like they've had any communication with them, but they, they would like to have communication. Um, I mean, what, what would you, words, what words would you give to them? Well, again, great question. If the person who is transitioned to is on the other side of the veil um, is available, they will eventually be in touch with you. Now, hmm. if someone has chosen to come back already and is already, their consciousness is already in another body, that would make it, that would make it much more difficult. But if you really believe believe in your heart that that person is there. And if you were lucky enough to maybe even talk about it before that person transitioned, just trust because that person will come through. If you talk to that person from your heart, that person will come through for you. Now, how do you trust that? You know that person. Are you married, Matt? Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, you're married, and you have a child too, right? Um, we're she's pregnant, so I mean, we've got. Oh, one. she is. Oh, I thought yeah. you already had a child. Well, congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, we've got one. Thank you. You know, when when you're married to someone, if someone is your father or your mother or your brother or your sister or something like that, you know that person. You know how that person communicates. You know their heart. This is. And you'll see this so many times in the book, trust your heart, trust your heart. That's the mantra. Yeah. You'll know. Now your brain may say, well, you're out of your mind. We need to get you to a good shrink. <laughs> but your heart will be, thank goodness you finally started paying attention to me. Right. Because yeah. I know what you need and I know how to connect you. And I, I will tell you, since the, the book came out and we published the book ourselves, it's available only on Amazon. Since it came out, we also established something both in the book and on the website about the book that people can email me directly and we give everybody the email address 
and that I would love to hear about their own experiences and that I guarantee people that the only person reading that email and the only person that would ever read that email would be me. And I get, and I don't say me and Lauren because Lauren's not always with me. Um, not always, she's with me a lot, but she's not always with me. The emails that we have received have been so beautiful wow. and so many people saying, thank God, I know I'm not alone now. And people who have talked to me about their loved ones that have passed, the ones that have really affected me um, have been a, a couple of people who have talked to me about their children mm -hmm. um, who transitioned and that they are in touch with them and it's made it so much easier for them, et cetera. And I, I hope that will be the case. You know, the book, as I said, is not a mainstream book. It requires people who believe in this type of thing, who, who believe that it, it should be, uh, you know, out in the world. It's going to be a word of mouth book. I hope that people will consider it. Uh, it's not a long book. Uh, it's something you can read in a couple of hours um, if you, when you sit down. And I hope that if people do enjoy it, they will tell their friends. We have, I think, almost 100 uh, reader reviews now on Amazon and 75% of them are five star and the other 10% are four star people I think are really enjoying the book if they're open to it. Yeah. Um, I have had people ask me, you know, on our, on, on our Facebook page, you know, well, how does the, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about reincarnation. And from what I understand, it doesn't, but I, that's not, that is not what we're about. You know, I have the greatest respect for every, faith system in the world. Every faith system is different. As Oprah once famously said, there are many pathways to God. And I believe that as well. So I, I would just say to people, trust your heart, keep trying. And it will, it, when you trust your heart and you hear it, you say, well, wait, was that you? What, what was that you? And it just reminded me, huh, that just, I never, I can't believe I never thought about this, that that the moment that Chris Reeve and Jane Seymour meet in somewhere in time for the first time, she says to him, is it you? Wow. Yeah. And I had just, that's the most iconic line from the film. Yeah. And I just connected that in my own mind consciously with the book. Anyway, th that's what I would urge people to do and don't give up. That's great. Yeah. I mean, again, it's such a, I think, provide such comfort to people who are going through these experiences and questioning them. And then, you know, I even also like how you, you know, you talk about the idea of an, an afterlife without being just stuck on one idea of the afterlife. But I'm, I'm curious, I mean, you know, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, does she talk a little bit about what the afterlife is like? Or do you have any, I mean, ideas about what the afterlife is like? Well, you know, this is very interesting that you asked that question. It's a great question. Um, in the novel of what dreams may come and in the movie of what dreams may come we made it very clear in that that people everybody has a different afterlife experience and it basically goes along with what they believe and what yeah. is the most comforting to them yeah so i i don't believe there is the afterlife experience i believe there are countless numbers of afterlife experiences. That's why, for instance, in What Dreams May Come, when uh, the character of Chris played by Robin Williams, when he first crosses over, he is in a world of wet paint because his wife 
was a painter and he loved her paintings. Yeah. They, it was something he felt very, so it was a, a world you might say that was created for him to reflect what would make him the most comfortable. Yeah. Now, Warren and I did have that moment, April 11th of 2017, this is about nine months before she transitioned, where we sat down and said, this is what we want this to be. That's and Warren has spoken to me a few times about how that is quote going unquote and once she actually gave me a very brief vision of it uh, actually a visual moment of it so i know that when we are together on the other side of the veil that that will be our experience but i think everyone has a different experience and i i, I just hope in this world that is so torn apart, so torn apart by different belief systems. Certainly in our country, the United States, I mean, this is the worst schism we've ever had in our country since the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, people's belief systems are so rigid uh, and people believe what they believe. And if somebody doesn't believe what they believe, then that other person is wrong. I, I'm hoping that what people will be able to do with this is say, you know, everyone's beliefs are valid. This is what I believe. This is what my loved one believes. We would like our afterlife experience to be. This is what I believe it will be. And I hope that everyone will respect each other's different feelings about that. Yeah. Because everyone has different feelings. I, I really appreciate that. And when you say that, that also makes me wonder, and this, this might be a tough question, but what if two people who are married who love each other have completely different beliefs about the afterlife? I mean, they might be different religions or one believes in it or one doesn't or one's agnostic. I mean, what do you, I guess, do you think they you know can what? be together? <laughs> okay, so you're asking me some great questions and that's the first one you've asked me that I don't know how to answer. <laughs> I don't either. So okay. I, I literally do not know how to answer that. And yeah. because Warren and I do not have conversations about, and I'm very careful about this. Yeah. I'm very careful about this. When, for instance, something's happening in our lives, um, something's happening with our kids or with our grandkids, I'm very careful about saying, honey, what's going to happen? Yeah. Or how should, what should I do? I don't, I don't do that. Yeah, because I, I, I think there's a real separation as to what Lauren can do and what Lauren cannot do and right. what she can communicate and what she can't communicate. Yeah. Um, and I know there are very specific uh, rules of the road and I try not to trample on them. So you've asked a great question <laughs> that I do not have the answer to. Well, I, I appreciate that honesty. I think um, and that's, that's, that makes sense. And I think you've also talked about too, I think I heard in one of your other interviews, like, you know, some of this stuff, you know, we just can't understand it all or we're not meant to, to understand it all. You can't, what, I'm sorry? Understand exactly everything. Like as human beings, we can't understand exactly No, I, I think that's everything. a very important aspect of it. I, you know, th th that's a lot of the reasons why, um, Lauren only communicates with me in ways and at times that she knows that I can relate to that um, because it is very, obviously it is very different. Now we don't know what that is, but when you think about it, just for a moment, when you feel that with your heart, just ponder this for a second. We're talking about 
someone who has transitioned from physical life onto the, into the other side of the veil where it's a completely different existence, completely different. How magical is that? Yeah. And how little does it matter? Right. Why some people might see it this way. Some people might see it that way. God bless everybody. God bless everyone's beliefs about all of this. Yeah. That's beautiful. That is an extraordinary thing. What happens after we physically transition? Now, there is a lot of research on that. There are, there are certain things that people, you know, the whole idea of me, the, the tunnel and the light and things like that, the, that is related in every language and every culture in the world. Right. So we know that some experience happens and that you, you reconnect with your loved ones. And oh my goodness, did we ever get in trouble with what dreams may come with a certain group of people? Because I was actually confronted um, by a couple of people face to face who were livid with rage about what they in their heart believed we said in what dreams may come, which is if you take your own life, you are doomed to someplace else. We did not say that. We said in the book and in the film, this was Annie's choice that she felt she needed to be in that place, et cetera. And that's where Chris went to find her. The whole sense of that came from Richard Matheson's own research when he wrote What Dreams May Come, the novel, which I think is probably the only novel that I know of that has a bibliography. (laughs) He did a lot of research into that and found out that people who had tried to take their own lives and had been revived related a very different experience. Now, I don't know if that's true, and it is absolutely not true that anyone who takes their life goes to hell. That is so wrong and so and so vile. It is dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And I, I'm really glad I've never had a chance to speak about that in an interview. <laughs> and for anyone who have, may have seen What Dreams May Come, who felt that we said that and it really hurt you, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I am so, so sorry. If you look at the film again, you will see that we're very careful not to say that, but that doesn't matter. That's your head. That's your heart. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm sorry that it affected people that way. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, me personally, I felt like what dreams may come gave people hope, and you know, without spoiling it for people, I mean, it was the ultimate love story that shows, you know, even after in the afterlife, we can experience love with, you know, regardless of like you said, our beliefs or where we might be. It's uh, just truly heartwarming. Well, that, that that is certainly the intention. You know, we have a line in the movie that Cuba Gooding um, delivers to Robin when he's telling her what's happened, telling Robin what happened with his wife, where he says, people see what they choose to see. Yeah. People believe what they choose to believe. Yeah. Nothing is more true about that than what dreams may come, which is an emotional Rorschach test for people. I, I, I will tell you, I was at a party at my, my dear friend Gay Hendricks' house. Um, I, this is 1998 when the film came out. And 
I was at his house. He had, I don't know, 60, 70 people in the room and Gay likes to goof on his friends and the film had just been released. And he said, hey, anybody seen what dreams may come yet? And a few people said, oh yeah, well, you know, the producer's right over there. If you have anything you want to say to him, go talk to him. And oh I was my like, goodness. So well, here's what happened. First person that comes up to me says, I'm so glad to meet you. Such a nice man. So glad to meet you. I, I'm so happy to meet you. I saw this film with a dear friend of mine who made me promise that if I ever met anybody involved with the film, I would relay a message. Can I relay it to you? And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> I said, sure, go ahead. And it, he couldn't have said it more nicely. She wants you to know that you are an inhuman monster. Whoa. And then with perfect timing, he said, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I hope you don't take that personally. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I knew what it was before you even explained it is that she felt that we had said everyone who's committed suicide oh. goes to a place called hell, which we didn't do. And I don't, if she felt that we said that, I don't blame her for thinking that I was an inhuman monster, right? Yeah. You know how it's like in a cocktail party when you're talking to somebody, the people behind them can't hear it. The next person that comes up to me and gives me a big hug and said, I run the suicide prevention line in Santa Barbara. Gay lived in uh, Ojai at that time. And I want you to know that this film is already saving lives. We already yeah. tell people, go see this film, go see this film. And I thought, well, boy, that's an interesting difference. <laughs> Next person that comes up to me very um, angrily says to me, how much did this damn movie cost? And I said, this is not going to be a good conversation, but I said it cost somewhere between 85 and $90 million. How did you got all that money to make a movie about the afterlife and all you show is, is Judeo-Christian images? You blew it, pal. You blew the whole thing. This is not a spiritual movie. This yeah. is a religious diatribe. And he walked away. Yeah. Next person is a young guy in his early 20s who says to me, I've just finished my doctorate and I did a research of all films about the afterlife. And I wanna tell you, yours is the only film I saw about the afterlife that doesn't include a single Judeo-Christian image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you kind of do see what you wanna see. Right, I was gonna say, you could do uh, just, it's just like people's projections onto that yeah. movie. And that's okay too. Yeah. That's okay too because, you know, I, the films that I am, the films that I really feel that I came here to make, uh, Summer in Time and What Dreams May Come, uh, certainly are, are those films, um, uh, The Spiritual Cinema Circle and Conversations with God and Indigo also. But none of those films are considered mainstream. Right. You know, none of those films are considered mainstream, nor, nor should they be because they go off into places that people sometimes don't feel comfortable going. But this is what my life has been about. And I am so thrilled that people either love or hate those films. And I can tell you, most people have very strong feelings about Summer in Time or What Dreams May Come. Either they're really big fans or they really thought they were a waste of money and that I'm a moron, okay? <laughs> And I, I, I tell you, I would rather have people have that kind of strong response than say, hey, I saw your movie, it was okay. <laughs> you know, uh, do you remember the movie Tootsie? 
Oh, just briefly. I mean, I right. think, Bill yeah. Murray plays plays a, a, a playwright in that, yeah. in that. And there's one moment where he says, you know, people come up to me and, and tell me, you know, I liked your play and stuff like that. I'm like, okay. He said, but when somebody comes up and says, man, I saw your play, what happened? <laughs> That's the person I want to talk to because everyone has their own feelings and their own things about that. And I understand that. I would rather have made films and the spiritual cinema circle as well that really pleased the people who were looking for that type of thing Yeah. And to make a big mainstream movie where it's like, oh yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And like Chinese food, two hours later, you're hungry and you never <laughs> think about it again, right? Right. <laughs> These movies help you feel if you want to. If not, then you don't. And I'm, I'm very glad that that's the way my career turned out. Well, I, I am too. And I know a lot of other people are, I mean, thank you for making those films. I think it's been an inspiration to not just audience members, but other, other filmmakers. Um, and I'm also curious too. I mean, if I heard you in other, at other times, it, it took you 20 years to make what dreams may come. It did. I mean, you know, what was, first of all, that takes a ton of perseverance. And I mean, Hollywood isn't always the most receptive to some of these like alternative ideas. I mean, do you mind just talking a little bit about A, what was that like spending 20 years trying to make a movie and, and you know, what helped give you the perseverance to do that? Well, first thing I say, when people say, why did it take 20 years? First thing I say is, well, sometimes I'm kind of slow. Um, <laughs> that's just basically what happened. Um, <laughs> You know, dreams is a challenge. Oh my goodness, yeah. it's kind of challenge. Because, you know, if you just tell somebody the bare bones of the story, well, gee, <laughs> this is about a couple whose both of their children die in a car accident. Yeah. The wife is so grief stricken that she tries to take her own life. Yeah. It's only her love of her husband that brings her back from the brink. Her husband then dies and she takes her own life. This is not a comedy. Right. <laughs> this is a challenge. This yeah. is a real challenge. And it, so it was a fabulous book. There were issues within the book that, uh, that were completely impossible to do on film that had to be fixed. One, for example, for people who have seen the film in the book, both of their children are still alive when Annie takes her own life. Chris has died and Annie takes her own life, leaving two children behind without a parent. There's no way you can put a character like that on screen. You yeah. just can't. I mean, it's not something that people can relate to. How could you leave your children and take your own life that way? And leave? we just couldn't do it. Yeah. This incredible screenwriter, Ron Bass, came into the situation and figured out how to fix that. There were a lot of different issues. How do you visualize a film entirely that takes place almost entirely in an afterlife setting? What does that look like? What does that feel like? I had some wonderful directors who were fascinated by doing the, the film. And a couple of them are big time A-list directors who I'm not gonna talk about now, but a couple of big time A-list directors who said to me, I would love to do this film. It's such a great love story. I don't know how. Mm. I don't know how yeah. to put that on film. Yeah. Finally, uh, there's a longer story attached to this. 
Well, actually, you asked, I'm going to tell you the story. It's a two or three minute story because it's wonderful how these things happen. Yeah. So I had tried for like 17 years, I think at that point, to get people interested in dreams. And at one point it almost got going at one studio and then the regimes changed and there was a director who was committed to it who then changed his mind. And you know, we, it went through a lot of different iterations, all kinds of weird things happened. And Ron Bass, who won the Academy Award for Rain Man and wrote another 30 or 40 films that got made a fantastic writer, at one point the most sought after writer in the film industry, wound up working with me in a company that uh, was owned by someone else. And he developed a project for us. And uh, the, the man who ran the company was very angry about it and felt it wasn't what he had bargained for. And I was running production. And he wanted me to support him in a meeting with Ron and I didn't support him because Ron actually delivered what he said he was going to deliver and I got fired. Hmm. And when Ron found out that I got fired, he said, I am so sorry. What can I do to fix this? And I said, you can't. I mean, it's done. I've been fired and it's okay. It's not your fault. And he said, I owe you. I really owe you. Is there anything I can do? And I said, well, now that you mention it, <laughs> you can. <laughs> How about you taking a crack at the adaptation of what dreams may come? And I'm like, Stephen, I can't. No one's going to put money up for that. Not for me. It's too complicated. And I said, Ron, you said what? Can, he said, OK, <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me, I'll give you one pitch. We'll go to one studio and we'll pitch it. And I said, OK, fine. So we decided to go to MGM. We're on the way to the meeting. And I said, Ron, what are you going to do about the suicide? And he said, I have no idea what I'm going to do about the suicide. And believe me, Stephen, they're not going to ask. I said, it, no one's going to do this unless you know what they're Stephen, no one is going to ask. I promise you. We get into this meeting. Ron is pitching away in his incredible form. And of course, Mike Marcus, who was the head of the studio, says, OK, Ron, this is fantastic. What are you going to do about the suicide? And one of the other executives said, at that moment, Stephen, and literally, I saw the blood drain out of your face. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, and without missing a beat, Ron said, okay, here's what we're going to do. The kids are going to die before the movie starts. We'll see it in flashback. So they're already gone. When Chris crosses over, he will meet them, but they will look completely different than they did in life. He will meet them, bond with them. That way we have something else going in the afterlife. And that's what I'm going to do about the suicide. And again, <laughs> David, who was in the meeting, said, at that point, Stephen, your mouth fell open. <laughs> we all knew that you had not heard that before. And the executive said, that's brilliant. And then he looked at me and he said, Stephen, how long has it been? I said, 17 years. He said, you got a deal. You finally got a deal on dreams. Let's write the script. We left the office. Ron, his hand was like this. And I said, where did you go? He said, Just get, get me out of here. Just get me out of here. I have no idea where that came from. Oh, man. It just came out of my mouth. <laughs> so we're walking out. There's one other person sitting in the waiting room for a meeting with somebody else. And because I knew Ron knew everybody in Hollywood, I said, who is that? And he said, oh, that, that's a director from New Zealand named Vincent Ward. And we left. A year later, who became the director for What Dreams May Come? Vincent Ward. Hmm. 
Wow. <laughs> so when you do get into that moment, when you do get into that moment, I think the universe, and, and we couldn't have made dreams before we did because the technology that we use wasn't available before we did. So yeah. anyway, that it, it was a long story. It was a long journey and it was worth every single minute of it. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, again, just fascinating and also inspiring. And, you know, I think a great example of just like trusting divine timing, you know, synchronicity, inspiration. I mean, that all seemed to have come together at the right time for you. Uh, they certainly, they have, they did with Summer in Time, which is a whole other story about how we got Chris Reeve. I won't get into that right now, but maybe we'll do this as another time and I'll get into that. But, you know, when it's right, when the time is right um, and a film is, is supposed to be made, it will get made. Uh, there is a wonderful producer in Hollywood that had a great thing that he used to say to screenwriters, like, how do I get my movie made? You know, I write a great script. How do I know what will get made? And he always used to say, you know what? If there's a great script around, somebody can throw it out into the middle of the San Diego freeway during the afternoon commute. And I guarantee you the person that stops to pick it up will be a producer. <laughs> if, if you write a great screenplay, you're gonna find a way. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard countless stories of that happening. Oh, hey, so. look, it took uh, Bruce Rubens, a, an old friend of mine too, who wrote Ghost, it took Bruce 10 years to get that movie made. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it, it happens. It happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I mean, we have, uh, we've been talking now for about 50 minutes. I feel like we could probably get tired of this in another um, five hours. Um, well, let's do it but... another time. We'll pick up <laughs> yeah. on this at another time. And I, I, I thank you for this, Matt. It was a great fun. It's great seeing you again. Good luck becoming a dad. It is <laughs> We have five, as I mentioned, five adult kids and four grandchildren now. And uh, I, I can tell you, I, I think being a parent is one of the most magical, incredible experiences of your life. And you and your wife are in for a magical carpet ride. There'll be times when you feel you're falling off and you're gonna go splat without a parachute. <laughs> but um, it, it's an, a most amazing experience. And I, I just adore our kids and our grandkids and. That's where I plan to spend the rest of my life on a personal level and on a professional level. It's going to be trying to get this book exposed to as many people as possible. That's, that sounds great. Well, I, and, and you know, for where, where's the best place to find this book too? Actually, the only place people can find it is Am on Amazon. Okay. So you can either go to Amazon and put in what dreams have come, make sure it's not what dreams may come, because <laughs> then they'll take you to buy the DVD of that, what dreams have come, or you can go to whatdreamshavecome.com. There's a little bit more of a, a background on why we wrote the book, et cetera. And then there's a link directly to the Amazon page. It's available both in Kindle and in paperback. And uh, if, it, if you believe it speaks to you, I, I hope you'll give it a try. Well, I, I do too. Um, Stephen, again, thank you so much for being here with us today. This was a lot of fun, very inspiring, very compelling. Um, and yeah, I would really encourage people, you know, go out and get what dreams have come, loving through the veil. Uh, Stephen, thanks again so much for being yeah, here. You're us. more than welcome. One thing I forgot to tell you, there is one thing you're going to have to give up as a parent. What's that? Sleep. I know. I'm not, we are not looking forward to that. I know. I know. And um, 
I know. We'll, we'll All right. Anyway, it's great to see you, buddy. And we'll do this again. That would be great. I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right. Thank you.